Thank you for listening to this audio recording from the pastoral team at Church of the Redeemer, an Anglican church in Greensboro, North Carolina. If you'd like to know more about Church of the Redeemer, its ministry, or its mission, then visit us online at RedeemerGSO.org. So, good morning, and uh, looking forward to our time in the Word today. And I would just remind you that we are in this sermon series called Kingdom Come, and so we're going to look at some of these great passages that Jesus has taught us. But before we dive into the passage, I'd like to talk about my weekend, and my glasses are fogged up. Um, And I had the dream weekend. One of my sons and I got away. We went up to the mountains and we destroyed all the leftover pumpkins with a 22 rifle. We rode four wheelers and we watched four and a half hours of the Lord of the Rings and then came back and yesterday afternoon gathered with a group of friends in the Alpha course where we prayed something really great for us that we would experience more of the Holy Spirit in our life. And it was just a great day, a great weekend to celebrate. And as we're winding down this sermon series, um, the Sermon on the Mount can arguably be summarized as the gospel in action or the work of God's gospel in our hearts lived out in our lives. Or we might say it another way, how the family of Jesus lives And we've heard some really great messages during this time, starting with Judson, who helped us see the Beatitudes as a bestowal of God's favor on us. Blessed are the poor and the poor in spirit. We listened to Dan Alger speaking to us about anger, righteous and unrighteous anger. I think all of us could connect with that. Jason Myers led us about Christians being truth tellers and the need for us to walk in the light as followers of Jesus, and then, of course, Benjamin Wall, last week reminding us to love our enemies as ourselves a very difficult thing. With God's help, we can do it. And then next week, we'll look at the golden rule, which is not whoever has the gold rules. That's today's sermon. We'll talk about that in a second. Um, and as we look this morning at these words we heard read from Ashley, Jesus's words in the Sermon on the Mount, we're going to look at our hearts and our treasure today, and specifically money. And we're going to look at kingdom economics, how money works in God's kingdom, and his currency is generosity. Of course, it's not an exhaustive ser- sermon on economics and the kingdom, but it certainly warns us today about the dangers of money. But also, Jesus's words invite us to gracious freedom. Listen to what he says. Do not store up for treasures. Do not store up for yourself treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up treasures for yourself in heaven where moths and vermin excuse me, do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. Now, you may not know this, but Jesus talks more about money by far than any other subject, more than sexism, racism, hatred, war, all the hot-button issues of today. And you may say, well, okay, this whole idea of serving God and serving one master God or serving money. I get that. That's actually for rich people. But sadly, that is one of the blinders of the reality of money. 
is that all of us are susceptible by, to greed. And we think, may think that the desire for money is greed. Like if I, if I have a desire to get money or get more money, that's greedy. But I hope to show you that greed is not necessarily a desire for wealth, but an unquenchable hunger for more. As far as the New Testament is concerned, greed is considered to be more of a threat for the ability to follow Christ than lust. Now, I could be wrong, and I think that greed is a greater problem in our culture than some of the issues that we would lift up, climate change, racism, sexuality, all combined. And I believe this because greed is the underlying current influencing all of these things. We have heard loads of sermons on those things, but few on greed. The Apostle Paul says it this way, for the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. So today, what I want us to see is something very simple. I'd like us to look at money and its power on us. Secondly, the essence or the root of money's power. And then lastly, true freedom. So let's pray. Lord, have mercy on us. Father, we know that you are the one who has created everything and that from you, you provide all things. And we also know that our hearts are so easily allured by more that we often find a dissatisfaction with what you've provided. And we believe that more will be better. And so I pray that you set us free from this today. You help us to look intently at Jesus and to be reminded of his great generosity to us. And as we all struggle with the issue of money, that you would help us not to walk in darkness, but in the light. And we know that you have the power to transform us. So come, Holy Spirit, come. And we ask this through the name of Jesus. Amen. So first, let's look at money and its power over us. I know this is, as a pastor, probably the least favorite subject that people like to talk about. And we don't mind talking about stewardship or budgeting, Dave Ramsey course, all that sort of stuff, sort of casting money in a good light. But very few sermons go right after the power of money. And, and I know this from experience. I've been a priest for almost 25 years and I've had per- people sit in my office and confess a litany of things. Immorality, anger, hatred, abuse, impatience, stealing, falsehoods, racism, racism, you name it. And they all started out with this comment, you're not going to believe what I'm struggling with. No, I believe it. I've heard it. But I have never heard someone sit down in my office and say, my great struggle is that I'm greedy. Never heard that once. It's interesting. And, and I've never heard someone say, my great problem is that I love money. I've heard everything else. And herein lies the power that money has. It makes us very blind, in fact, to its power. This is why Jesus says in verse 22 of the gospel that we heard read, 
The eye is the lamp of the body. And if your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? That's Jesus's fancy way of saying, it is your eyes that allure you with things. <clears throat> and are your eyes healthy? Jesus uses this illustration that we can understand eyes and lamps in the body. And his point is that our particular vulnerability to money is driven, in fact, by what we see. There's an old song that goes something like this. Oh, be careful, little eyes. What you see. We know it if you're over 50. Um, think of what we see. We see what others have, what others get to do. I'm sure you know this experience well. Greed is associated with our eyes, and our eyes are the window of our heart. This phrase is connected to a man in the Anglican tradition who had a big impact, and he once said something along this lines. What the heart loves, the will chooses, and the mind justifies. So what the heart loves, the will chooses, and the mind then looks back on that choice and says, that was the right choice. What the heart loves. I remember a, a ninth grade girl. I will not mention her name since we live stream around here. Um, I was trying to impress, and it was on the, in the bus line waiting to get on the bus, and there's a group of us standing around, and here it was. I was feeling really nervous and really excited. Maybe she was going to like me. And she looked at my clothes, and she said, did your mom buy those clothes at X store? No need to mention the store's name. And everyone laughed at me. And as a fragile, insecure 14-year-old, in that moment, I made a vow to myself. No one else heard it. No one else knew it that I would never be laughed at again for how I looked. And I, I remember going home, I promptly had my mom the very next day on a weekend drive me to the mall. And I bought for the first time with my paper route money that I'd saved so hard. There's this little thing called paper, some of you. And I bought Guess jeans, yeah? And I knew if I wore these guest jeans that my status would improve. And I began to see that money was the ticket to status. And there began my battle with greed. I saw a bumper sticker <clears throat> recently. It said this on a minivan. It said, I used to be cool, I swear. <laughs> I love that one. The old word for greed is avarice. One of the seven deadly sins. Possibly it is the deadliest because it is the most powerful and the least known. And how do you recognize greed? Well, I know this about greed. It is way more easy for me to see it in others than to see it in myself. And in fact, this is what the ancients talked about, the great power of avarice is when it comes to greed, I assume everyone else has the problem with it, not myself. And in the, in the fourth century, there was the rise of a movement in Christianity called monasticism, 
which people left the cities and fled to the hills and lived in caves and they took vows of poverty, which we find utterly ridiculous today. That would be crazy living. But these Christians recognize the tremendous blindness that we have towards greed. We find all other problems worthy to discuss, but our own greed is off limits. Imagine if someone came to your home and scrutinized your money and your expenditures, and they said, why did you do that? Why did you buy that? Why did you go there? You'd feel, you'd feel pretty put off by that, pretty offended by that, actually. And that's why I think it's way, way easier to discuss issues about money, like wealth disparity and economic justice, than take an inventory of my own personal greed. The great danger of greed is that greed is always perceived as someone else's problem. And this brings me to my second point, which is the root of money's power. Money offers us three very desirable things. It offers us power, it offers us security, and it offers us identity. Three very alluring gifts. And money gives us control. It makes us feel safe and money shapes our identity. But as we know, money is never enough. And this is why Jesus cuts to the point in verse 21. He says, where your treasure is, your heart is also. What you value, where your treasure is, that's actually where your heart is. And you see, this is money's incredible temptation for us. And its power is so seductive. Think of it this way. If you have money and you walk into a room, you feel one way about yourself, in control, secure, powerful, superior. But if you don't have money and you walk into a room with others, then you feel insecure or helpless and of low self-esteem. You're worried about how you dress, kind of clothing you wear, what kind of vehicle you drive, what kind of house you live in, what will people think of you? You feel vulnerable and you feel inferior. Money has this incredible power to raise us up and to take us down. The great 21st century North American theologian Ariana Grande once sang this, Whoever said money can't solve your problems must not have had enough money to solve them. I love the chorus to this song. Listen to what it says. It says, I want it. I got it. I want it. I got it. It's real deep words. You like my hair? Gee, thanks. Just bought it. I see it. I like it. I want it. I got it. And while these Lyrics seem ridiculous at one level. They're actually very insightful about the power and the lure of money. So for a moment, I want to speak to those three things, those three desirable things that money gives us and contrast them with what the Lord gives us. The believing person acknowledges that there are things in this life I cannot control, no, ma no matter how much money I have. In fact, the more I strive for control, the more anxious I become. Money may give us the illusion of control, but make no mistake, wealthy people die 
And in our quest for control, we think that the purchasing power for that control is money. I can purchase it somehow. But in the trade-off, we lose what we really desire most, intimacy. The love of money and the pursuit of money causes people to forsake the priority of relationships, which in fact are our greatest form of security. I know this because I've been at several deathbeds and no one summons their accountant, no offense to anyone who works in accounting, to their deathbed. They want their friends and their family and their relatives. So we make a trade that we regret, financial security over relational capital. The last thing that we trade is that money makes us feel superior. I know this. I've been upgraded to first-class seats, and you watch people walk by, and you're like, move on to the back, people. This is where the special people sit. I remember one time a person dared walk into the first-class seating area with the, with the curtain to use the bathroom. We were scandalized. Like, what are you doing? Get out of here. You don't deserve to be up here at our bathroom, which smells just like your bathroom in the back. You see, that's what money does to us. Money places social distance between us and others. And perhaps this is why James warns the church about wealth. He says it this way, the brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus must not show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand there or sit on the floor by my feet. Have you not discriminated amongst yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? James is pretty direct on this. This trade of security and control and identity is destructive to our souls because the superior person always sees the inferior as lesser. And then the superior person loses the ability to love his or her brothers and sisters, but only pities them as charity. So who will rescue us from this love of money? Now I can't tell because I can't see your body languages as well, but I have a feeling you're going, this is, a heavy, this is heavy stuff. So that's why I think the third point is really important for us to hear when we talk about this. Who will rescue us from this love of money or how do we experience freedom for it? And this is why my last point I think is an important point for us to leave today. It is possible to live free from the love of money. With God, all things are possible. It is possible by the power of the spirit to live free from the love of money. doesn't mean we won't struggle, but it is possible to have freedom from it. John Wesley accumulated in today's money. John Wesley's a famous pastor from a long time ago, father of Methodism, if you've seen a Methodist church. He accumulated over $50 million in earnings. Talk about celebrity pastor, right? He grew up very poor and he died also poor. He gave all of his money away. So with God, all things are possible. But Jesus has a stark warning for us in this dance of freedom. 
he gives us a clearly expressed struggle for our soul with money. In other words, it is very possible for this freedom, but there is a battle for this freedom, make no mistake. He says in verse 24, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and you will despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. The old Hebrew word for money is mammon, if you know that in other traditions or translations. And as the church developed and progressed, became more aware of the power of money in its theology, its meaning, money or mammon, was personified even by the medieval period. If you've ever read the book Paradise Lost by John Milton, bless your hearts if you have, you know that money took on, mammon took on the character of a person. And the love of money or the love of mammon became identified as serving the evil. A famous church father even said that mammon is another word for Beelzebub or what we would call Satan. But why then would we be devoted to Jesus versus money? You see, the gospel says something very powerful to us. It says mammon offers to shower us with gifts of control, security, and identity. But God showers us with true riches. I know people with money who are very ancient, anxious and insecure. And I know people without anything who live like the most satisfied people in the world. And the opposite is true. I know people who have great wealth, who are rich in Christ. And I know people with little who are consumed for more. Money is no respecter of persons. So Jesus says later in the passage, So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear, which these worries consume us? He says, for pagans run around after all these things. And this is one of my favorite parts of this passage. Your heavenly Father knows that you need them. I want you to hear that. God understands our financial troubles, and our burdens. He knows that money buys our food and pays our rent. He's very well aware of this because he's created us. But he also tells us this, verse 33. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things, control, security, and identity, will be given to you as well. You seek first his kingdom, And these things work themselves out. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. So now you should be asking, how do I become free then from the love of money? You've promised me in your third point you're going to answer this question. Here's the answer. Jesus sacrificed his life for us. That's how you become free from the love of money. Jesus sacrificed his life for us, for you and I. His offer is to be rich in him by serving him, not the cruel master of money. That's his freedom. That's his gracious invitation. I'm going to give you two masters to serve, me or money. One is cruel and one is freeing. Many um, 
I have many verses that I love out of the scriptures that I memorized. I, I did that as a young Christian. I'm thankful for it. Many of them have stayed with me. And one of them I think is the best. I, don't, I mean, it's top three or top five. I don't know. But uh, it's a favorite verse that I love to share. And some of you will know this well. Listen to this. Second Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. How do we become free from the love of money? Jesus sacrificed his life for us. We thirst for more, more wealth, more prosperity, more security, more significance, to get out of our dire straits, to uh, achieve and, and climb out of our pits and our holes, when all along Jesus is saying, I can make you rich. Rich beyond your wildest dreams. The kind of control and security you so desperately seek after and the kind of significance you wish you truly had when you close your eyes at night and look with some disillusion to life and wonder, there has to be something more than this. In all of my study and reading about money, I've found this. Those who find the greatest freedom from it give it away luxuriously to others. Hilarious giving. And this is why Jesus' sacrificial death is the greatest gift. The theme verse for our free farmer's market on Saturdays is Isaiah 55. I'd like to read it so you can hear this. Listen to this invitation the prophet Isaiah gives us. I think he's, he's anticipating the great offer of the Messiah to come. Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters and all you who have no money, come and buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me and eat what is good and you will delight in the richest affair. Give ear and come to me. Listen that you may live, and I will make an everlasting covenant with you, my faithful love promised to David. Rather than more, more things, control, security, or identity, we seek more of Christ, for this is where we find all things in great abundance. You see this also in the Eucharist meal that we receive, this table meal which helps us recognize that God has supplied us with everything we need. We say it in the Lord's Prayer. Give us this day our daily bread. The great antidote to greed is daily bread living. Give me just what I need today. For in the Eucharist, this meal, we discover that we are unable to get enough of Christ. Money entices us to want more and never be satisfied. But the Eucharist calls us to feed on him in our hearts with thanksgiving, to be free from that other master, 
to be free to love him. In the Eucharist, we discover that the more the body and blood of Christ is shared, the more there is to be shared. It never runs out. The Eucharist, as an act of great generosity, shapes us to see that our very own generosity, rather than greed, should drive our economic decisions. And this is the good news, that we have been given all we need in order not to be possessed by greed. For where your treasure, my treasure, our treasure is, our heart will be also. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.